0: So guys, um, this is a slightly different uh, interlude, if you like, because um, I want to take a moment just to tell you about a charity. It's like a uh, sister charity. Seems a bit of a strange word to use right now, but um, to Alive and Dangerous. Um, in fact, it's actually part of the same charity that Alive and Dangerous is, is incorporated within. It. It's called Chapter 2, and it's a mission to... Uh, reach out to fatherless boys and um, I want to explain to you what it's about. And I'm going to start with a story, and it's a story some of you may have heard before. And it's a story of some executives at a greeting cards company who decided that it would be a great idea if they offered some prison inmates the opportunity to send a free Mother's Day card to their mothers. And so they set up some tables in the prison They shipped in these free Mother's Day cards, and the uptake was incredible. There were huge, long lines of of prison inmates wanting to send these free Mother's Day cards. And so the executives were buoyed by the success of this, and they thought, well, why don't we do this for Father's Day? And so they did. They set up the tables, brought in the cards, but not one single prisoner accepted the invitation to send a card to his father. Now, our prisons are full of fatherless men. 76% of young persons in custody had no father. Prison, unfortunately, can be the outcome for fatherless boys, um, but actually, fatherless boys are suffering in all manner of different ways, and unfortunately, fatherlessness has become pretty commonplace in our society today, and it's a particular problem in the UK, who, along with, with Ireland, has the worst rates of family breakdown, in the entire EU. And it is now more likely that a child sitting their GCSEs today will have a smartphone than be living with their father. It's considerably more likely that they'll have a TV in their bedroom than be living at home with their father. And now, roughly speaking, one in two 15-year-olds do not live with both parents, the vast majority of which will be living with their mother. And in some low-income parts of this country, that percentage can be as high as 65 to 70 percent of young persons not living with both parents. It is a pretty dire situation, Um, but unfortunately family breakdown is only one part of the problem that I think our society faces. And that problem is that fatherlessness uh, is, is, is only one element of it. Men, we have become absent in the lives of boys in all manner of different ways. In primary schools today, male teachers are very rarely seen. Only 15% of primary school teachers are men. Men, we have become increasingly lost to our careers. Our careers, modern careers, demand an awful lot of a man, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And we've also seen a loss of those traditional male industries and vocations that created these environments for for men to work alongside other men in close proximity, whether that be carpentry or blacksmithing or coal mining or whatever. Technology, automation in the digital world just doesn't provide those, those environments that we used to see in the past. The result is that many boys are growing up in men deserts, and that is a much broader problem than men being absent from their homes. It's an absence of cross-generational male communities. And we got a beautiful glimpse of what that looked like just, just 10 minutes ago. It is precious, but we have lost it. And that is a real problem if you're a boy growing up, because as we've talked about this entire weekend, masculinity is bestowed. It's not something that a young boy can get from his mother. He can't get it from his peer group. It has to come from the presence of older men, and a boy needs a path to follow. And if no good and clear path is provided, he will find an alternative. And unfortunately, gang culture is a classic example of an alternative path. And the, uh, the think tank, the Center for Social Justice, um, wrote a report in which they said that one of the driving forces behind gang culture is fatherlessness. And and you probably saw back in 2011 the London riots. We saw images of, of young men looting shops, fighting with police, starting fires. Well, shortly after that, the Daily Telegraph wrote a report where they said that one of the key, that one of the common factors amongst those rioters was that they were all gang members with no father living at home. A sentiment actually which David Cameron, the then Prime Minister, echoed in Parliament. But gang culture, antisocial behaviour, crime—it's really the tip of the iceberg when we talk about the consequences of fatherlessness. And um, I've brought some some booklets with me, and there's plenty in your—they're in this box down here—and you're welcome to pick one of these up. They've got plenty of statistics and just paints the picture of just how grim the situation is. There's also a website with with all the stats on it as well. But actually, there's a quote from a a, um, sociologist and author called David Blankenhorn that I think puts it very, very well. And he says, fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic trend of this generation. It is the leading cause of declining child well-being in our society. It is also the engine driving our most urgent social problems from crime to adolescent pregnancy to child sex abuse to domestic violence against women. You know, I I believe that the lack of well-fathered men is the chief cause of our broken societies and our broken communities. And that's not how it should be. Um, As I said, boys need a path to follow. They should have a path to follow, trodden by good men that have gone before them. And I know this to be true when I reflect on my favorite memories, and uh, if you've got the capacity, the emotional energy left to do that, then reflect with me on what your, your fondest memories of childhood are. What are those most vivid memories? Because if, there are any, if you're anything like me, those memories tended to be those simple moments spent with my father. John Eldridge put it really well, as he often does, where he says, whatever the details might be, when a man speaks of the greatest gift his father gave him, if his father gave him anything at all of worth remembering, it is always the passing on of masculinity. But sadly, boys, many, many boys are growing up with no father and no meaningful contact with any older men. They have no path to follow, and the, the outlook for such boys is, is not great. Um, I'd like to share another story f- with you, and this is the reason why the, the elephant picture is there. Um, because as you may know, elephants have very similar behaviours to humans. Um, you may have seen in wildlife programs how they, they grieve over the loss of family members in much the same way that humans do. And in fact, recent imaging technology of the, of the elephant brain shows that the part of the brain responsible for emotions is very, very similar to that of a human. And the reason I tell you this is because of something that happened in the 1990s at had a game reserve in South Africa, the Pillensburg Game Reserve. And there was this very strange incident where there was a series of rhino deaths. Thirty-nine rhinos were killed. Uh, but the gamekeepers were very puzzled, because when they were finding the rhinos, it appeared that they had been murdered in some way, um, but their tusks remained intact, so it didn't look like poachers were to blame. And what was even more curious was that they had these, these wounds in their sides which appeared to be from elephant tusks. And indeed, it turned out that there was a gang of rogue elephants that were going around murdering these rhinos. Now, this was very, very peculiar behaviour for elephants. And interestingly, it turned out that these, all of these elephants that were responsible for these murders were all orphaned male elephants, all between the ages of 13 and 18, and they just reached adolescence. Now, what had happened was a few years prior to this incident, incident at another game reserve, the, the Cougar National Park, they had done a cull of, of, of elephants. They culled the adult elephants, and they taken the orphaned elephants and shipped them to this, this neighbouring game reserve, the Pillensburg game reserve. And it was these orphaned male elephants that had now reached adolescence, which comes with greatly increased levels of hormones, just as it does in humans. And it was these orphaned male elephants that were reaping havoc, that were murdering rhinos, spearing them with their tusks, pushing them underwater at the waterholes. They were going crazy. And they are also found recruiting other elephants, other orphaned elephants, to be part of their gang. Um, but then something really quite incredible happened. The, game, the gamekeepers were at a loss to know what to do. But they gambled and they thought, "Well, let's see what happens if we bring some older bull elephants into the game reserve. And so they shipped in these adult male bull elephants. And incredibly, the murders stopped overnight. The behavior of those adolescent orphan male elephants changed immediately and they were drawn to the presence of these older bull elephants. All they needed was the presence of these older males. So these orphan male elephants were not only suffering from the trauma of being orphaned, but they were suffering from the loss of a societal structure that is so, so important for their journey to adulthood. <laughs> now, that solution was very, very simple. Those elephants simply needed another older male to follow. And the principle behind chapter two is exactly the same. We don't think the solution's any more complicated in our world. We think fatherless boys just need a man to follow. And we also think that the church has an important role to play in that, which I'll, I'll come on to talk a little bit about now because um, we actually believe the biblical mandate to help the fatherless is actually quite specific in the Bible. And throughout the Old Testament, the word orphan is used frequently. But when you, when the word, if you translate that word orphan, literally, it actually means fatherless. And it's a word that's used liberally in the Old Testament to express how God cares for the most vulnerable in, in society, the fatherless. In Psalm 68.5, that says that God is father to the fatherless and defender of widows. Our God, our Father cares for the fatherless deeply. And as his chosen image bearers on, on earth created in his likeness, I believe so should we. Now, interestingly, although that, the, that word orphan, fatherless appears a lot in the Old Testament, it actually only appears once in the New Testament, but it's quite a strong verse, James 1, 27. It says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. This theme of fatherlessness, as we've spoken throughout this whole weekend, runs very deep through our Bible, through our faith. In many ways, it is the essence of it. Um, And and I'd like to try and explain what I mean by that by looking at the life of the Son, Jesus, and asking three questions. What he did, how he did it, and why he did it. So what did he do? Well, in Matthew 19, when Jesus is describing, explaining his mission on earth, he refers to it as the renewal of all things. And that word renewal comes from two Greek words, one meaning paling, which is, means again, and the other Genesia, which means beginning. He's saying that his mission is back to the beginning. Back to, the, back to Genesis, back to Eden, back to a time where there was no separation between man and God. Where man walked and talked with God intimately in the garden, there was nothing separating us, not even a single fig leaf. That is what he came to restore. Which is why in Galatians it says that Jesus came to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Through faith in Jesus we can become sons once more, back to Eden, back to God's original design. So how did he do it? Well, I always find, I have to remind myself when I think about what Jesus did on earth, that he came to earth as a man. He gave up his divine privileges, as it says in Philippians. Yes, he is God, but he gave up his divine privileges. And, and we see his humanity in, in his behaviours. He, he got hungry, he got tired, he got weary, he had to be tended to by angels, he got angry with the Pharisees, frustrated with the disciples, he didn't know everything that was about to happen, he was surprised by events. As Eugene Peterson put it, he was so obviously human. So, how did he do it? How did he live this blameless life? How did he turn the course of, of, of our universe away from complete destruction towards the renewal of all things. How did he become the most influential man in history? Well, his secret was the key to who he knew he was. He knew he was a son to a heavenly father that adored him. He knew that he was loved unconditionally by the Lord of the universe. And again, Eldridge puts this really well. He says, the confidence Jesus has in his father's love, their bold and unquestioned intimacy is the hallmark of his life. The explanation for everything else, this man knows his father adores him. That was his secret. And Satan knew it too. You remember when um, Jesus was baptized and God speaks out loud saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then he's led away by the spirit into the wilderness. And the thing Satan goes for, he goes for his identity as a son. He says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Each time trying to make him doubt who he knew he was. Keller said this, Satan's main military goal, he wants Jesus to lose the certainty, the assurance of God's full acceptance of his unconditional fatherly love. But he lost, thankfully. So why did he do it? Why did God send his son for us? Well, it certainly wasn't because of anything we did or deserve, you just have to read the Old Testament to know that. The only answer really is because he loves us unconditionally as sons. There is no other logical explanation. And interestingly, the early church wasn't considered to be a religion. Because it was based, as it should be, on unconditional fatherly love, i.e. something you can't earn. They didn't think it was a religion at all. So hopefully you're getting the point I'm trying to make behind those three questions. What Jesus did, how he did it, why he did it. The answer to those three questions is the same. It's fatherhood, it's sonship. What did he do? He bought us the right to become sons of gods. How did he do it? As a son, fully dependent on the father. Why did he do it? Because God loves us as sons. Fatherhood is, to Christianity, what water is to the rainy season. It is its very essence. But alas, we live in a time where fatherhood is broken, twisted, lost. Use whatever word you like. And you know the statistics I showed a little bit about earlier... Um, should make us stand up and think we need to do something about it, at least in my opinion. And so the vision of of chapter 2, as you'll see from the, the line there, is to write hope into the fatherless story. We want to start a new chapter in the lives of boys that are growing up with no father. And we believe that the church has a central role to play in that. And in practical terms, what that looks like is we want to provide fatherless boys with a dedicated one-to-one male mentor and a community of men. We want to bring bull elephants back into the lives of these boys. And we want to form communities of men that are prepared to go out there and fight for the hearts of fatherless boys, rescue boys that are lost in men deserts. Man, I I, I can't how do I put, I'm just going to say it bluntly, we are the problem, right? And we're also the solution. This is not something that, it's, this is not a battle that we can leave to the other sex. This is not one that we can allow our wives and the, and the good women around us to fight on our behalf. It's going to take men. And so consider what I'm about to say as a, as a call to arms, if you like. There are two million children in the U. UK today growing up with no meaningful contact with their father. And a recent study said that one in four children do not consider their fathers to be immediate family. Men, you can have an incredible impact on a fatherless boy's life just by being prepared to be present. Because that is fundamentally what they're missing. It's the unconditional presence of an older man in their life. Now, I'm fairly sure that there's, there's a lie buzzing around this room right now. And that lie is, I've got nothing to offer. I'm not relational. I don't know how to deal with teenagers or younger boys. I've just got no experience. That is a lie. Absolutely a lie. You have something to offer because you have trodden many more miles down that path than a fatherless boy. And that is like mana. Think of yourself as one of those bull elephants. It was nothing more than the presence of those bull elephants that was required for those younger male elephants. They just needed their presence. They just needed a path to follow. And I'd also like, um, when you think about this as an opportunity, think about it as something that is integrated into your daily life. Please don't think of this as a kind of separate box, You know, like a, does this fit in my calling box or my mission box? No, I I just don't believe that's the way of thinking of a kingdom life. This is something that should be integrated into our daily lives. And what that looks like in practical terms is, if you already have a son and you're going to play football, invite a fatherless boy along. If you're having Sunday lunch with your family, invite a fatherless boy and his mother over for lunch. If you're fixing a fence in your back garden, invite him to help. It doesn't have to be separate. It doesn't have to be this extra thing and extra accountability. You're sharing your life. And I'd also like you to consider this as something that could be done in community with other men, and the benefits that that could bring to your relationships with other men. Think of it as a life group. But a life group where you're not sat in a room doing Bible study, doing a bit of worship and prayer, but a a life group where you're going out together as men alongside each other, fighting for the hearts of fatherless boys, supporting each other in the process. And believe me, when you're in the, the mission field alongside other men, it does wonders for your relationships. I think my brothers would probably agree with that. So, um, I'm going to leave it there and say, if this is something that <coughs> you think I'm stirred up by this, um, I'm excited by this, or I feel convicted that I should be doing something, then please come speak to me. There are, I've, I've brought two things with me, these booklets, there aren't a huge amount of these left, but there is a website. Um, I'll just pick up one of these flyers. and drop me a note, drop me a line, and we'll talk about it. If, if you live in the Reading area, uh, the good news is we're starting the first programme as we speak. Um, we're underway in terms of making that happen. If you don't live in the Reading area, then, then let's talk about how that could work um, in your area. It would obviously take a bit more effort to make it happen, but hey, why not?